What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Real Bodybuilding Podcast. This is episode number 145, and I am here with the training specialist, Christian Thibodeau. How are you, sir? I'm decent, man. I'm decent. You doing uh, good? Well, uh, that's decent is literally the best I can hope for these years with two <laughs> kids, and you know how it is, right? Well, I don't. I don't have kids, so tell me, why is, why is it decent? What's, what's well, slowing you down? You basically stop being a whole human being and you basically live for everyone else, right? And as someone who is extremely self-centered and egotistic by nature, that was like a huge shift for me. But no, it's, it, it, it's, it's good. I mean, uh, it did require some important changes with, with the structure, scheduling, stuff like that, and putting my own priorities a bit on a back burner. But mm -hmm. I'm getting old anyway, so it doesn't really matter anymore. Why don't we tell everybody what, who you are and what you do? What are, uh, so you're known as a training specialist, but can you expand on that? Tell, kind of give me a, a little bit of rundown for people. Yeah, well, I'm sadly a generalist, which I say sadly because it's really hard in the modern day to like not be branded like a bodybuilding specialist or powerlifter or strength coach or whatever. I, I, I like everything regarding to training. I started out for the first 12 years of my career as a strength and conditioning coach, working with athletes from 26 different sports, including Olympians, uh, pro athletes in many sports. Uh, I myself, I, I, although I started out playing football mm -hmm. uh, for the first eight years, my, my training was aimed toward that, uh, but I eventually switched to Olympic weightlifting. Okay. Uh, and then I, I tried bodybuilding but I, I found that I didn't have the mental disposition to be good at it. People mm -hmm. like to blame genetics. Uh, dude, I, I, what I do you can't, mean? Can you explain what that means? Because maybe yeah. somebody else out there is feeling the same way. Yeah, well, you know, people like to say that bodybuilding is genetics. I think that's a cop out. In well, genetics play a role, obviously. Yeah. yeah. But 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 I think that people forget that maybe and maybe it's part genetic, but mental toughness uh, yeah. is a huge part of bodybuilding and. Me personally, I don't handle discomfort extremely uh, okay. well. Okay. Okay. I could diet down for a photo shoot and be like seven percent, eight percent body fat, enough to look good, like for a strength coach. But I could never go the extra mile. The times I competed, uh, I just would turn into a completely wasted human being when I tried to get that lean. <laughs> But that's how we all are, though. That's what happens from week yeah. from week four from week four to the show. Yeah, you're pretty much useless. Uh, absolutely, but some people can handle it a lot better than others. What when I yeah. say handle it is they suffer, mm -hmm. but they don't make people around them suffer too much. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. a, good, a good friend of mine that actually trained. I mean, you might know him, uh, Patrick Bernard. He's an IVB pro, a okay. several times Canadian champion. Okay. Uh, in like five different weight classes. I actually trained him for a few years. We trained together. Mm -hmm. And the guy was like the best example of what you could call a professional bodybuilder. Not okay. necessarily because he had a, a pro card, because he was extremely regimented. His behavior never changed off-season, mm -hmm. uh, bulking, cutting, pre-contest, post-contest. He never complained. He just did his job. Yeah. And to me, I mean, dude, I can't be like that. Okay. Uh, uh, and also because I like uh, variety too much. I, I like yeah. to have fun in my training. And I just couldn't plug in day in and day out what it, it required to, uh, to get good at bodybuilding. Plus, 
Okay, I, I didn't have the mental fortitude to mm-hmm. diet down to contest shape, but I have too much self-esteem issue to be able to bulk. So I'm kind of screwed. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Can I tell you something? It's yeah. really it's really refreshing to hear somebody be that self-aware when it comes to bodybuilding. And maybe it's because of your age. I don't know if you felt this way when you're younger, but a lot of times when people don't bodybuild or can't bodybuild or don't do well in bodybuilding, you blame it on something else. Yeah. So it's nice to hear somebody actually just say, it just wasn't for me. No, exactly. So it's, honestly, it took me a long time, but but again, I think that the fact that I sucked at pretty much everything I ever did, I prepared myself <laughs> to accept uh, not being great for, but well, that's true. You know, I was, I, I was always the guy with the low self-esteem. Okay. Yeah. I was always above average when it comes to intelligence, but average or below average in looks and height, uh, in athletic performance, I was shy. I didn't interact well with kids, borderline uh, Asperger, yeah. Uh, so it, it, I needed to be admired for something physical. Okay. Okay. Uh, and I tried every sport. I mean, honest to God, I played pretty much every sport. And the only sport I was decent at was football because I could compensate my shortcomings mm-hmm. by putting my frustration out and hitting people harder mm-hmm. and being willing to give my body to science. See what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but besides that, I mean, even when you get to college, I mean, at five eight linebacker, what are you going to do? I mean, yeah, there's exactly. such a thing as physics, right? So instead of instead of being proficient at something physical, you decided you were going to be the smartest guy in the room instead of the yeah. most physical guy in the room. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the guy who helps people reach their physical potential. Sure, and that's why I, I don't brand myself as. Uh, a bodybuilding specialist. There are tons and tons of bodybuilding guys way smarter than I am, mm-hmm. way better than I am, and specifically for bodybuilding. But I'm smart enough <clears throat> to take from them and learn their methods. And if I'm working with someone who needs that kind of progress, that kind of gains, I, I will use the best tools for my work. And because I, I, I see myself as someone who learns from others, Sure. I have no limitation, no belief system, no system to call my own. Mm-hmm. But I have a large toolbox that are gathered from powerlifting, from football training, from Olympic weightlifting, from bodybuilding. And I can use whatever is the best tool for each individual person. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of John. Because uh, you were you were you knew John Meadows and absolutely we um, together. John that reminds me of John. John always told me to have the biggest toolbox I could have. He never, you know, when people, because I think back in the day and not to get off course here, but when, when a lot of bodybuilders started using, using bands and chains, a lot of that was brought to the bodybuilding world by John. Right. And when I would post, I remember posting things with bands 10 years ago, or maybe a little less and people would ridicule it. Oh, why using bands? That's stupid. Arnold never used bands. You don't need those bands. And now everybody's using bands. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but the reason I did is not because I was smarter than everybody. It's because jo- I learned from John and John was the one that opened my eyes and said, it's better to know, it's better to have a toolbox that's full of a full arsenal of things you can use and then pick and choose where you need them. So, Absolutely. so yeah, that's a really valuable point you made, but I want to get into the specifics. Sure. So actually, before we get into specifics, 
do you have any credations that we want to talk about? Like any, any degrees or anything that we should discuss or is this self-taught through experience? Uh, well, honestly, I do have college degrees, Yeah, uh, but they didn't have, well, the only thing, well, here's the thing. I went to a, a really shitty sports science program <laughs> okay. and, and I can see that now because it, it, now it, it, they, they kind of turn things around and it's pretty solid because now they are partner with a chiropractic school and podiatrist school so it's it's sure. very good especially for biomechanics now but back then I mean I'm going to give you some example okay I, I my, my first session in college okay my first session as a student I was a research assistant okay. received an idea yeah. and, and I was actually grading papers for students in like two or three years ahead of me. Yeah. One day, one day, my the, the, the professor for, for whom I was the research assistant comes to me and says, Christian, I, I didn't have time to create the exam. Could you write it up? Come on. <laughs> I said, okay, okay, no problem. So I, I create the exam. The day yeah. of the exam, I, I walk into the room. Because sometimes I do supervise exams, right? Because that, yeah. that's what research assistants do. Yeah. And the, the, prof, the professor's there. And he, and he tells me, Christian, I, I don't need you to supervise the room today. I'm here. I said, no, no, no. I'm a student in this class. <laughs> <laughs> so you wrote your own exam. <laughs> exactly, exactly. exactly. That things change quite a bit now. Yeah. Uh, another thing, I mean... Uh, so, so I didn't learn much. Is that, is, is that terrifying that a whole bunch of people graduated from there and didn't? It was. Even during yeah. the, like, when I did my master's, honest to God, there was probably one other student in there that I would have trusted with writing a training program for anything. Yeah. Like, literally yeah. anything. And, the, yeah. and that's because the guy was a competitive athlete. So listen, I didn't, I didn't ask you about degrees and all that because I think that's the be all end all. There's right. a lot of people in this industry that don't have degrees that are very, very good at what they do. So I didn't, but I don't want you to take it the wrong way. That's not, I just wanted to ask just for my Zero. own information. Zero. <laughs> I, um, that's one thing. I, I don't have any filter. Yeah. And I, I don't take things personal. I mean, okay. I don't get insulted. There's no time for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So getting into training. Yeah. There are so many debates on training and I know there's not one answer and there's not one right answer but I thought we could give some people some actionable information that they could take from this interview or take from this podcast and actually be able to use in the gym themselves. So one of the, one of the first things I want to discuss is my style of training versus, and it's not really a versus it's just, so there's a new school of thought that a lot of the top guys are using. And I'm friends with, you know, um, Ian Valier and Ben Chow and, you know, Hunter Labrada and a lot of these guys that are coming up now. And a lot of them use a progressive overload system where they use very few uh, reps mm -hmm. to begin with. And then they'll save it all for like a top set where they kind of go to failure. Right. Whereas a system that I used more so, and maybe like a Nick Walker uses, maybe a, a Samson Dowda, Jay Cutler. Mm -hmm. These guys use more of a system where you're doing eight to 12 reps for four sets, but increasing weight on each set. So the guys who do the one top set will say to the other guys, you're wasting a whole bunch of energy on sets that aren't failure. Yeah. And when I think of it, th theoretically, that kind of makes sense. It's like, if the failure set is what you're really chasing, 
are all these other sets useless? Mm-hmm. But then I, I look at the guys who do the one top set and I think, but I'm doing a lot more volume than you. So my muscle is getting worked harder. So can you maybe decipher this and, and not say who's right? Cause I don't think there's a right or a wrong, but like maybe explain both scenarios. Well, I think that, and that's a good point. I'm personally just for a reference point. I, I'm closer to you when it comes to building muscle. Okay. Uh, I, I personally, and, and that's going to come back because I think personal preference is sadly a, a huge part of the answer. Yeah. I think that bottom line is if you train hard, okay, and focus and driven, it will work. Okay. Sure. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And if the training you're doing fits your personality profile, fits mm-hmm. what you like to do, fits what motivates you to train, what keeps you driven, then you're going to perform better and gain better than if a program, even though it might be superior in theory, mm-hmm. it just doesn't fit your preferences sure. and you just want to lose motivation. Now, uh, personally, I, I prefer for building muscle. I, I do believe uh, that volume plays a significant impact in, in muscle growth for, for several reasons, Okay. Uh, first, it, you can create more muscle fatigue, more motor unit fatigue with less, I want to say, potentially negative impact. Uh, okay. Because you can actually prepare yourself better for that last set. Now, I'm, you might be using less weight. I'm going to make notes so we can come back to some of these points. Go ahead. No problem. Sure, sure you can create more fatigue if you do... Uh, a few more sets to get to your works, your work set. And maybe those sets are harder in a process, but it's not like they don't contribute anything to hypertrophy development themselves. I mean, and, and that's, let's just look at, uh, and I think that these guys are not actually too far off from each other. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. maybe there's a difference between like, like two or three reps in those yeah. pre-work set set. So yes, there's maybe some, fatigue difference, but I don't think it matters that much, especially if you are someone who over time, over time, increased his volume, okay? Because as you increase volume gradually, you also increase your work capacity. And that's, I think, is where my, my experience with athletes matter. Because with athletes, there you notice such a thing as, you know what, if you increase gradually the workload, their body becomes capable of sustaining a, a higher and higher and higher workload over time. They, be, they become better conditioned. They recover faster. I mean, things that look great in theory and in science and in studies are not always 100% true in real life. For example, mm-hmm. you look at the science of rest intervals, okay? Yeah. The science show, studies show that longer rest periods are better for hypertrophy than shorter rest periods because you create, you can recover more between those yeah. sets. Yeah. But what I noticed is that if you gradually decrease those rest intervals, the body can become good at recovering faster. Okay. But t- can I, sorry, I just want to interrupt. So are, we have to make sure we are very specific to who we're talking to. Yeah. So the, the people watching the podcast, I, I mean, some are athletes for sure. Some are marathon runners. I've, I've gotten DMs from a whole slew of people. But for this podcast in particular, let's discuss building muscle. Absolutely. But what I mean is that physiology is physiology. Okay. 
So if you can increase work capacity, the, the capacity to tolerate training volume in an athlete, and I'm thinking lifting specific volume. Sure. Like, well, for example, when I train athletes, we do a lot of heavy squats, heavy bench press, and even some bodybuilding work. And they can handle more and more over time. What I mean is that if you start with more of a moderate volume and you gradually increase the number of sets over time, Sure. The body can acclimate to that. For example, uh, at the peak of your bodybuilding career, you were probably doing more sets than when you started out. True. So, so uh, because you, you, you build more muscle, you build more tolerance. Okay. Now, if you look at specifics, the difference in the training stimulus between uh, the theory of that one set to failure and several uh, and many exercises, it's based on the theory of maximally effective reps. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, a maximally effective rep is a repetition where you're recruiting all or as much fast switch fibers as you can, okay? And you are creating a stimulus on those fibers, okay? Mm -hmm. And it's true that to reach a point where you are recruiting as much fibers as possible and putting tension on those fibers to make them grow, because what makes a muscle grow is not the muscle damage. It's putting mechanical tension on that fiber. Okay? Okay. There are receptors on the surface of the muscle fibers, right? And when you're contracting a muscle, those receptors feel the tension. The harder you contract, the more tension you produce, okay? okay? So you need, and the more tension is on each individual fiber, the more that fiber will grow, okay? okay. So that's the first condition. The second condition is you need to recruit a lot of fibers, especially the fast switch fibers, because they are the only ones that actually can grow significantly. Okay. The slow twitch fibers won't grow that much. So for example, uh, okay, if I want a lot of tension, yeah. the speed of the repetition needs to be fairly slow. And I'm okay. not telling you to go slow on purpose mm -hmm. because going slow on purpose decreases the force you're producing. Sure. See what I mean? Yes. If you reduce the force, you do not recruit the strong fibers. Okay. But fat fibers. Sorry, sorry. I, I have to, you're throwing a whole bunch of stuff at me, so I have to interrupt here and there, okay? I'm sorry. Okay. But so how do you walk that line? Because John used to say he liked the, the concentric portion of the movement to be explosive. You, you should always try to lift the concentric explosively. Okay. Or at so least fast. So how do you walk that line yes. on what you're saying between being explosive, but also being slow? You need to reach a point. And that's the point because if the, the rep speed is fast, okay, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which would be the case with the first few reps. Yes. Let's say you're doing 10 reps. The first five will be fast because mm -hmm. there's no fatigue accumulation, but sure. what trying to go fast does is recruit those fast switch fibers. See what okay. I mean? Yes. If yes. I go slow on purpose, I'm not recruiting the fast switch fibers from the start, okay? okay? However, in those first few sets, because I'm moving fast, the tension is low. So these okay. reps are not yet effective at building muscle. See what I mean? When I say you need to get, get slow, is you need to reach a point in your set I where understand. even though you're trying to push as hard as possible, the speed slows down. I get it. Because yeah. of the accurate, each rep you, you lose, you fatigue by around 3%, 3 to 4%. So the guys, so Dennis James used to do this thing where it was all time under tension. 
No, I don't want to, I don't want to single Dennis James out. I just thought of it because it's the first person that came to mind. But when you're doing a slow, extremely slow concentric and extremely slow eccentric, you're still reaching that slow period, but you're not, you're saying you're not getting the force that you need. Well, it, it, I mean, it, honestly, and that's where it gets underwhelming okay. is that at the end of the day, the result at the end of the set will be pretty much the same. If you uh, reach the same level of effort, Okay. If you go to failure or one rep short of failure, those last four or five reps will have the same equal effectiveness regardless of what you did in the early part of the set. I, I just understand. prefer faster movement so that you train the nervous system to be better at recruiting the fast switch fibers. Okay? I see. But the point is, you, if you want a set to be effective, you need to reach a point where even though you're trying to push as hard as you can, the speed slows down. And you know what I'm talking about? There will yeah, be yeah. a rep. There'll be one rep in your set where you go, holy shit, that just got hard. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that's actually where the set starts to work. So it's and like it, when, it, sorry. So it's like when you're knocking out like a leg press set of 15 yeah. and it doesn't start to slow down until 10. Yeah. So you're telling me like the muscle building portion of the movement is not just failure. It's not just the last two sets. It's all of the ones from where it really starts to slow you down. Okay. Exactly. That, okay. That's the point where you start to have money in the bank. Okay. 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 <clears throat> and so, so every rep past that point will lead to positive muscle growth or stimulation. Sure. Okay? Sure. So you want to accumulate that. Now that can be done by going to absolute failure, in which case you probably get and that's regardless of the number of repetition you do in your set. Yeah. If you go to failure, you're going to have like five or six reps that are yeah. money reps. Okay. Uh, now, if you do the, um, let's say, volume approach and for the, you gradually add weight, which I personally prefer. Yeah. Uh, so maybe the first, the first work set, you have three of those reps, the money reps. Okay. Because you stop three, four reps short of failure. Mm. Maybe the next set, you have four. Mm -hmm. And maybe five, and the next one you have six. Okay. Yeah. Well, the first set, even though you stopped three, four reps short of failure, you still got three reps in the bank. You still reach, you still need to reach that point where it starts to slow down. Okay. You I, start, yeah. Sorry, I need to pause you for one second. So, only because this is an important uh, distinction. So, let's say I'm doing four sets of an exercise. Yeah. And on sets one and two, I don't really reach a point where I'm slowing down. Like, let's say, let's take an example, like I'm doing a dumbbell press. Right. And I start with 80 to 100, 120, 140. Yeah. So on 80 and 100, I'm only doing eight to 10 reps and I don't really start to slow down. I just get to eight, or I get to 10, whatever, and I drop the weight. Right. On the third set, I might slow down. I don't go to failure, but I might slow down a little bit for the last three reps. And on the fourth set, I go to failure. So my question is, on those first two sets where I don't hit that slowdown portion, are they, I don't want to say useless, but not as effective? Like, am I wasting my time? Not wasting your time, but not as effective to stimulate growth. Okay. However, and that, that's where the guys uh, who promote the one set to failure system and trying to be as economical as possible in your, your set will make an argument. Yeah. Well, you're not going to getting growth from those sets. It's just garbage volume. Don't do them. Well, that's a slightly short-sighted viewpoint because just because you're not triggering growth or maximum growth in a set doesn't mean nothing happens. It's not just fatigue. You yeah. are 
activating your nervous system. You are increasing the strength of the neural drive to fire those muscles, which actually makes the subsequent, the two hard set, more effective because okay. you are every set makes you more efficient at recruiting those fibers. Also, one thing that's very important, they are still creating mostly fatigue in the muscle because the set is not hard enough to drain your nervous energy, right? Yeah. So you're not, you're not like killing yourself. You're not worn out from it, no. Exactly. But you are still creating a small amount of peripheral fatigue, fatigue in the muscle tissue. You're accumulating lactate, getting a slight pump going on, uh, getting blood flow in there. The fibers are a bit more fatigued. And why is that interesting? Is because that fatigue carries over to the later last two sets. Yeah. which means that it will take you fewer sets, fewer reps to reach those hard reps on those last sets. Okay. Now, you could argue, well, that's because I'm not using as much weight. doesn't matter. doesn't matter as long as you get those money reps at the end. So that's what I want to ask you because the, the exact argument to that is if I wasn't creating that fatigue in sets one and two and three even, right? Because yeah. they're talking about one set. So they're going right to four. Yeah. Like for, for 80, 100, and 120, they may only be doing three reps just to kind of feel the weight. Yeah. And then they're going right to four and going to failure. So they would say, because you're creating that fatigue in sets one, two, and three, in set four, you're only doing 140 pounds. Whereas if you didn't create that fatigue, you might be able to do 160, 170 pounds. Mm -hmm. So, and they, and that argument behind that is if I'm doing failure with 170 pound dumbbell instead of 140, I'm going to grow the muscle more and kind of makes sense because you said tension matters. So yeah. where's that fall into the argument? Well, okay. First, <clears throat> when you look at, and I'm going to quote science, which I don't really like doing most of the time, but <laughs> okay. many studies have shown that, uh, if you go to the same effort level, Yes. Failure, one rep short of failure. The load used to get there actually doesn't really matter when it comes to hypertrophy. Okay. It matters for strength. Sure. So in a way, if you measure your progress by how much stronger you're getting, sure, pure, strict, progressive overload matters, okay? The absolute amount of weight you're moving is important for strength because it trains the nervous system. It trains the joints. It trains the tendons to sustain those heavy loads, Okay. And also, and lifting heavier weights, I don't want to get too deep into physiology. When you lift very heavy weights, you do get slightly different adaptations in the muscle. Not so much in the size of the muscle, but in the micro tendons between the muscle fibers. A muscle fiber, okay, yeah. doesn't run all the way through your muscle. Okay? okay, it's several mini segments connected together with a micro tendon going okay. from one end of muscle to the other. Okay. okay. And one difference between, for example, powerlifters or bodybuilders who live very heavy and bodybuilders who do more pump work is that those micro tendons connecting the, the muscle fibers become thicker, stronger okay. when they lift heavy. Okay. So they actually withstand the heavy loading better. Sure. But, but, but the, the overall size difference from heavy loading doesn't matter if you go to the same failure point. Okay. Okay. But so, just to counter that. If ten, and, and I'm not, I'm honestly not trying to argue with you. I'm just trying yeah. to decipher as many things as people would be asking. Yeah. So if I can go heavier, so if you're saying the failure point is the same, whether I'm doing 170 pound dumbbells or 130 pound dumbbells, failure is failure. 
Yeah. But if I'm reaching, if I'm getting more reps with a heavier load, mm-hmm. is that not going to make me bigger than the other guy? Uh, again, not, not really. I mean, no. as long as you do use progressive overload. Because okay. to these guys, like to these guys, like like Ben, like Ian, like Justin, and and many other people who do progressive overload, that logbook is the most important thing to them. Yeah. They want to make sure that. that every week they're lifting heavier because they yeah. attribute their growth to the strength. It's to combined for them. So well, I would just want to make it clear that I am for progressive overload. Sure, but progressive overload doesn't mean moving the heaviest weight. Yes, you can, you can, it's gradually lifting more weight. Under the same conditions. Yes. Okay. Uh, let me give you an example. Okay. If you do, let's say, dumbbell press, and you, one week you get 10 reps with 150, okay, mm-hmm. dumbbells. Strict form, you feel the muscle contraction. The next week you go up to 160, you can get 10 reps, but technique is a bit more shade, shady. You cheat a little bit, not, not enough to be called a bad set, but still. And you don't feel the muscle contract as hard. Can you really say that the muscles have been overloaded more because you change the condition of execution? So the goal is still to get stronger, Mm -hmm. but under the same condition. So for example, you let's say that you do those higher reps on the earlier sets that will decrease performance or the amount of weight you can use on those last sets, but you are always in the same condition. Sure. So if you gain 10 pounds from week to week, for example, you're still progressing overloading. But if you suddenly change the conditions just to move more weight, you do not necessarily progress in load because you just change the condition. The muscles themselves don't necessarily get more loading. See what I mean? So the really irritating thing about this conversation is basically <laughs> both are the same. <laughs> because, And it's funny because you can see that in evidence because yeah. – you could look at somebody like Jay Cutler who did very high volume and you look at somebody else like Dorian Yates who did very low volume and they both were massive bodybuilders. At the end of the day, if you look at the number of those slower reps, mm-hmm. we probably did roughly the same number for each muscle group. Sure. I mean, Jay did more exercises per muscle, so maybe he did a bit more volume. There will always be a range because yeah. there is no like, perfect volume. For, for a muscle, okay? Sure. Uh, but it, it won't be as different as what most people think. And, that, that, and yes, it's, and I say it's underwhelming. Yeah. Because again, regardless of what you do, the number of reps you're doing, the number of sets you're doing, the, the, it all come, if you lift fast at first, if you lift slow at first, it all boils down to how many of those slow reps, despite trying to push hard, reps that you get okay let me let me ask you this one last question on this segment because because i basically understand what you're saying is really it comes down to preference yeah um, because they're all going to be generally the same can you tell the preference based on somebody's genetics number one and number two if a beginner came to you today never touched a weight in his life which which direction would you push him and why Okay, uh, I, I, would, I would say that genetics, uh, body type, and personality profile w- will impact. Like, for example, someone who's uh, extremely of a like, type A aggressive, uh, like 
almost to the point of being annoying, extremely verbal, uh, wants to be the alpha in everything he does. Yeah. He's probably going to gravitate toward the method that allows him to use the most weight. <laughs> and oh, oh, okay, okay. So he'll, he'll progress. He'll move to the progressive overload. He'll be more motivated by. Oh, sorry, more the low volume. Yeah, yeah, because it's it's all progressive overload. That's right. That's right. Sorry. You should always strive to increase the load you're moving, but yeah. under the same condition. Don't change the conditions from one workout to the other to get the false sense of strength mm -hmm. increase. Sure. But yeah, someone who's more high strong, more verbal, like to take uh, all the attention to himself, will normally do better on, on the lower volume approach, mm -hmm. uh, and also because they don't have the patience. Okay. I mean, if you do like, uh, let's say sets of 12, then 12, then 10, then eight, they might lose actually focus on doing those 12 reps because for them, it's fucking long. It's, it's, it's demotivating. Okay. Yeah. So there's a rule there. <clears throat> also some people with like smaller joints, mm -hmm. uh, like more ectomorph people will normally do better with a higher volume approach. Okay. Or, that makes or sense. They just need more work on. If they have more slow twitch fibers, they will also need more volume because you need to fatigue those slow twitch fibers so that you can fully recruit those fast twitch fibers. Okay. And again, if you have small joints, uh, you have like less resilient tendons. If you can get the same hypertrophy stimulation while using less weight on your top set, it's a win. Yeah. Because it's less dangerous. If sure. you have those thick joints, if you have short limbs, like a stocky kind of bodybuilder who's built for strength, mm -hmm. then he doesn't need as much preparation or safety work prior to his work set. So that That's does the, play a big role. That explains a lot. That's actually very, very good information. So... I feel like I was more of an ectomezzo. So that's probably why I gravitated more towards the higher volume. Whereas somebody and, like, somebody like, is. yeah. Whereas somebody like James or Ian, they're definitely more of a, of a pure mezzo or even a mezzo endo. So yeah, it, like they're definitely got those thicker, thicker joints. So, okay. That makes sense. But can you explain to me, is there a way for somebody to know, is there a, is there a, a measurement of some, uh, some type of measurement where somebody can find out if they have, more slow twitch or more fast switch fibers? Well, uh, you could do a muscle biopsy, but that kind of sucks. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a little um, too far for most people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's, there's a difference between uh, like a, a, a 25 gauge needle and those pricks they use to pick like a, <laughs> yeah. a, like a one inch yeah, muscle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and furthermore, like muscle fiber type, the ratio vary from one muscle to the other. Oh, so okay. Okay. That, that wouldn't tell you much. Okay. So okay. Uh, I think that a good way of doing things is see how many reps you can get with 80% of your maximum. Mm -hmm. the, the higher the number of reps for a muscle, typically the more slow twitch that muscle is. Okay. Uh, so that would be a, a tool. But again, the problem is that training experience will change that. I mean, if you always yeah. did high reps, even though you're fast switch dominant, then that's going to screw the results. Okay. Uh, so unless you're a pure beginner, it's kind of hard. But then again, you can use qualitative measurements, like were you naturally more explosive or you're faster than you were strong, for example. The mm -hmm. faster, more explosive naturally you were, even before you started training, likely the more fast which you are. If you had better endurance than speed when you were younger, probably a, a higher ratio of, of slow twitch fibers. Uh, okay, so you mentioned a few things. You said personality, <clears throat> you said joints, uh, your joint size matters, uh, fast, slow twitch fibers matter. Is there anything else that matters on which one you would choose? Uh, <clears throat> well, the, which no, training style? 
you, you mentioned beginners, okay? Yeah. Uh, I think that beginners, for starters, they should go to one more set. And it just makes sense because, well, you know what? Doing a set is not just about building muscle. It's about learning to use your muscle. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The more reps you can get, the more practice you get contracting a muscle, flexing a muscle. And that's something, something that beginners should learn from the start. First, obviously, good lifting technique. Like on the big basic lifts, and that, I know that that just put your audience asleep, but it's still important. Uh, so on, on, on the big basic, like squats, deadlift, bench press, uh, shoulder press, rows, you need to like learn pristine technique because I mean, how many guys just overuse their biceps on rowing movement and never really work their lats, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's an example. Um, so you need to like teach proper muscle recruitment. And, but second, you need to practice flexing those muscles with beginners, especially with more single joint movements. Because to me, a, a big lift, like a multi-joint exercise versus a machine exercise or an isolation movement, it's two different things. It's like a hammer and a saw. You need both to, to build a house, but they should not be trained the same way. To me, a, a, a single joint exercise for bodybuilding purposes, you should see it as flexing a muscle against resistance. Yeah. Because the main benefits of isolated work is, you know what, isolating a freaking muscle. Yeah. So if just to, for the sake of lifting more weight, you do a curl and you do more upper traps and lower back work than biceps, then it's wasted. Uh, and not only that, the more focused the effort can become, the better you become at recruiting the biceps, you know what, the better they will work on your pulling exercise. So you get the double yeah. one. Yeah, I mean, taking her, they need, and that's one thing. Here. A lot of people like there was this discussion: what makes someone like potentially good at, at being a bodybuilder? Okay, yeah. even when you look at a guy like like Ronnie or, or Branch, who like sling the weights around, you know what? I can guarantee that even though they're using more of a ballistic style, they're getting a good mind muscle connection. Definitely, yeah. The one thing that separates elite bodybuilders from the gym bros of course this, besides the discipline and hard work it's they are better at feeling a muscle working when they're training mm -hmm. and you know what you can actually develop that as a beginner yeah uh, instead of focusing on i mean and then there's a time and place to get stronger beginners ain't it beginners yeah. should be focused on training the brain, the body to feel those muscles working properly, flex a muscle against resistance. <clears throat> I mean, and we, we see that all the time. Like my, my ex-girlfriend, she, she, she went to nationals, I think in like 205 in Montreal. Uh, I think that uh, Simon Voyer won that year. Yeah. Uh, yeah, year, yeah, I took, uh, I think yeah, I, won won the, I won the heavyweight yeah, class that won, year or something like that. Yeah, you won the overall, I think. Uh, no, 2005, I didn't. Two, six, I won the overall. Anyway. I was in 2006 then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think Sam came in second. Anyway, uh, my, my girlfriend at the time, like she was in great shape, but the way the, the there was no physique back then for women. It was only bodybuilding and figure. Uh, yeah, and she was a bodybuilder, and but she had like the the physique of a physique girl now. Yeah, and she was on a smaller side, but the weight classes were middleweight stopped at one twenty six point one, and after that was all heavyweight. Yeah, and yeah. she was like 126.3. <laughs> and and that, was, that, that, was, that was my fault because yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I depleted her the week before. I waited to see if she could make the, the middle weight and she was like three pounds off. Yeah. I, I forgot to think that, you know what, when you do the weigh-in, you are in 
uh, an hotel room with thick rug would actually make you lighter okay. on the scale. Anyway, yeah. so she actually like loaded up with pizza before the weigh-in, and she went yeah. she was one twenty six point three. So big coaching mistake. Yeah, yeah. And that's the year that like Colette Dimon was there, uh, Zoe Lindsay was there, like big girls. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. I, mean, I remember she, them. I mean, Colette was literally the human being on that in that competition with the most muscle per inch of body weight. I mean, she was thicker than Sam. And that's saying something. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so my girlfriend was like 126 and, and Colette has 20, like 18 inches biceps on, on five foot one and 185 pounds. Mm -hmm. I mean, she didn't make a top 10 and that she actually went severe depression and that ended yeah. her bodybuilding career. Yeah. Anyway, she was a, a, a farm worker, okay? Because I'm actually going somewhere with this. Okay. She was a farm worker and she actually won the provincial championship without training just from carrying heavy weights. But her, her back traps and biceps always responded like crazy to training because her, she spent years and years and years carrying stuff. Yeah, arm. yeah. And so those muscles become, I mean, that's the same thing with hockey players. Sure. I mean, when they train their legs, they, they respond super fast because these muscles are, the point is the more you use your muscle, a specific muscle, the better you become at contracting it, the sure. easier it is to stimulate it to grow. And that's where the most successful bodybuilders have an advantage. They are geniuses yeah. when it comes to contracting a muscle. And you know what? If you don't have that, you can use any training style you want. You can use the coolest training program for your, your favorite pro. It will not work yeah. because each rep will suck because you're not flexing the muscle the right way. That is uh, extremely valuable because I remember Ben, I don't, I don't remember, Ben says it all the time. Ben says all the time that he could do the same movements Luke could do, but Luke just looked like he was getting far more out of each rep. Yeah. And um, it, I also think it's extremely valuable because of this scenario there is a whole new generation of bodybuilders or beginners, sorry, that are looking up to bodybuilders like Ian and like Justin and these guys, because they're great bodybuilders, but they're not going to get all that volume. They're learning the one rep, one set all out technique. Yeah. But like you're saying, they may be too young and, and too inexperienced to get into that mode right away. Maybe they need to transition to it later on down the road. If you, want to, if you want to be like Ian or like Antoine, who's a good friend of mine, don't do what they're doing now. Yeah. Do what they did when they were your level. That makes a lot of sense. It's, it's actually uh, extremely valuable because I see, I see people asking Ian, how should I train? And Ian is very um, married to his style of training because it works for him. And because, like I said, theoretically, it makes a lot of sense. But what you're saying also makes a lot of sense is just getting that mind muscle connection yeah. is takes a lot of time. And if well, you're only doing it, some people naturally have it. Yeah. So they don't, they don't, they might not need to work on it. Sure. But most beginners, especially now, most kids are motor morons. I mean, we all played sports when we were younger, like not kids are playing Nintendo. So they might have good mind muscle connection with their forearms, but that's pretty much it. Right? <laughs> I see what you're saying. They're not, yeah, they're not used to using the muscles as much. I get it. Yeah. So that, that's really um, invaluable. So moving from that argument to the other thing I hear incessantly, which is training splits, 
and push pull legs and the bro split and the two body parts a day. And what is your, I, I have a feeling I already know what your take is on it, but what do you, where do you, where do you stand on that? What does somebody need? Uh, and what is the difference for people? <clears throat> the, the best split is the one that fits everything else in your program. Okay. And also, obviously, your personal preference. Let, let's look at, uh, first, your, uh, the rest of your program. Like, for example, if you are utilizing uh, a whole uh, a high-volume approach, okay? Sure. Well, it makes sense that you can't train as many muscles in a workout. It also makes sense that you can't train a muscle as often. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to train chest three days a week if you do 30 sets per workout. See what I yeah, mean? Yeah. So, so if someone is more of a lower volume guy, you can train three muscles in a workout, maybe even four. But if you do more sets, that's going to be one or two muscles per workout. Yeah. Uh, so the ideal split is first the one that fits your goal better. Now, if you look at, if someone, for example, okay, is starting his quest to be a bodybuilder, okay? So maybe right now at the start, his best approach is not to train like a bodybuilder. Maybe it's to, again, learn to use his body as efficiently as possible. So maybe he, ne he needs to hit every muscle three times a week. Yeah. So that might be a whole body approach or upper lower split, okay? Because he need the frequency. He need to experiment flexing his muscles more often. Sure. But the more advanced you are, the more you can get out of your reps, the heavier you lift. So even though, yeah, I mean, for example, if you're doing uh, 10 reps to failure with 170 dumbbells on incline press mm -hmm. and the beginner can do the same 10 reps with 50, okay? Even though in both cases, it's like 80% of your maximum, your 80% is a lot more traumatic on the body than his 80%. Okay. Tendon-wise, nervous yeah. system-wise. Sure. So, so you can't train that movement as often as he does. Okay, you see what I mean? So yeah. the more dense you are, the better you are at flexing your muscles, the less frequency you need. Okay. So the more you can do, I'm going to hit each muscle once a week, but I'm, I'm going to pound that muscle to the ground. That's mm. going to work really well for someone who's fairly advanced, but might not be the best solution for a beginner who need, who should probably train each muscle twice a week, maybe even three times a week. So we're talking maybe an upper lower split, Maybe I, I, there was one split I really like, especially with bros, because bros don't like to train legs. So, uh, well, I'm, a, and, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a bro. I train legs. Yeah, but that's because you have to. But, no, no, okay. but I, mean, I, mean, I mean, the average bro who's not dedicated. The average bro does not train average. legs. You're right. Yeah, that's true. So, or, or when he, he trains legs, it's leg like extension and leg curls. If that, <laughs> so, yeah. while, while thing on the phone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we can, we can even use the same analogy with girls. Yeah. And if you put two upper body days in a girl workout, she's going to hate it. She wants more booty training, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one approach that I picked up, and that might not make, it's not classical, it's not traditional, but it solves that problem. Because I do believe that, again, personal preferences, the one split that you like doing the most is the one that will deliver better results because you're going to be more motivated. Like, Chris Bumstead said that at this point of his career, the best split for him would be a whole body split, but yeah. there's no way in the hell he's going to be doing a whole body because he hates it. Yeah. Um, so personal preferences are important. So what I did when I was a kid and I'm going somewhere with this, uh, you know, and, and I was sick, my, my mother would give me aspirin. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So there we go, the pill addiction started very young. It quickly <laughs> moved up to uh, speeds and phenomenes and ecstasy, like the good old Quebec bodybuilding, right? <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, but I, 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 the, the aspirin, I, mean, I didn't have good swallowing skills when I was younger. Yeah. Take that out wherever you want. Yeah. And so, so the, the, the bitterness of the aspirin like, made it impossible for me to swallow it. So yeah. what my mother would do is she would crush the aspirin, mix it with honey in a spoon, and I would eat it. I, did, I wouldn't feel the aspirin. I, didn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't taste the bitterness, and it, it went down smooth. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm doing the same thing with bros and leg work. Okay. So instead of doing, for example, push-pull leg or upper-lower, or having a, a, a leg day, which will, I know will kill their motivation, they will just skip it, or come out, uh, they come up with COVID-19 on leg day or something like that. Yeah. Uh, what, one good split, and again, keep in mind, that's not for advanced bodybuilders it's for someone who wants to build muscle maybe starting his journey okay so you would have a push pull split but okay. quads and glutes are put uh, quads and hamstrings are put on push day with chest triceps deltoid and hamstrings and calves are put on pull day okay with, with upper back lats biceps traps yeah so now you might have only to put one lower body exercise in a workout mixed in with five upper body exercises yeah. so it, it goes down smooth but at the end of the week you did your four legs exercises yeah or it's, six leg exercises yeah easier to easier to tolerate that way yeah, yeah. and you can do the same thing with, with women women who don't like to do upper body that you can have push pull modified but instead of slanting it toward the upper body you slant it toward the lower body and you put one or two upper body exercise mix in with four lower body exercises in a workout yeah so moving so with the split moving to a more intermediate or advanced bodybuilder uh, i get a lot of questions about um lagging body parts and -hmm. things like that and i remember having a conversation with brad schoenfeld about frequency so we were talking about frequency for beginners as far as learning motor skills and learning to feel the muscle and my muscle connection. What about frequency for bringing up lagging body parts? Where is it too much? Where is it not enough? Do you need more? Like John, at one point, John told me, I remember we were discussing arm growth and how he wanted to make his arms bigger. And he said his arms were actually getting better when he didn't train them at all because they got so much work with back and with chest and, you know, all the other work that we do in bodybuilding. So where would somebody fall on a frequency scale if they're trying to bring up a lagging body part? That's actually one of my favorite topics. I mean, I've actually written about it as early as 15 years ago. Okay. And first let's take just as an introduction, just let's talk about John's case. Uh, John's, First of all, is among all bodybuilders in the world. Well, what he was, in my experience, I mean, I, I've trained with him a few times. We spent like two weeks together in Colorado. He is the best, maybe with Charles Glass, at feeling a muscle. Yeah. Like making those little tweaks to maximize the intent. And he's just, he's just a genius at flexing muscle. Sure. Also, the way he's built, okay? He has literally like the shortest arms ever in, in a normal sized person <laughs> in bodybuilding. He did, yes. Okay. And, and not only his arms were short, his upper arm was short compared to his forearm. So that, that lever actually makes it almost impossible not to be 
biceps dominant on pushing and triceps dominant in pressing. That's why his shoulders were always lagging behind because when he was pressing, yeah. it was all triceps. That makes okay. sense. Yeah. So, so for him, it actually makes sense to actually get better arm growth from reducing arm training because his arms could finally recover. Okay. Oh, I see. But that's not the case for most people, especially not with the opposite body type, which you are. Yeah. Long limbs, short torso, which is, yeah. by the way, a much better structure for bodybuilding. I mean, uh, the only bodybuilder I can think of who was long torso, short arms, and was very successful, Dexter and Lee Priest. Like the two yeah, guys I was going to say Lee Priest. Yeah. 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 The only two guys I can really think of. Aesthetically speaking, the problem with people with short arm, long torso is that they all have high lats. Yeah. So, so, so when they do a lat spread, the double bicep, there's always this gap between the hip bone and the lower lat, and it just doesn't create that fullness sure. uh, that you want out of bodybuilding. Anyway, yeah. so, but, but for anybody who doesn't have that kind of structure, if, so, or if you want to bring up a lagging body part, well, frequency and well, volume is going to be the driving force, but it actually comes from frequency. Not because the frequency itself is key. Yeah. It's just because the amount of volume you have to do to make that stubborn muscle grow is so high that you can't do it time-wise or recovery-wise in a single workout. So you shouldn't really see it as, I need to train a muscle three days a week to make it grow if it's lagging. No, it's, I need to do so much volume that I need to spread the volume over two or three days. So that, that, I should see it. So it would be more like saying, I need to do... 30 sets for biceps, but I can't do them all today. So I'm going to do 10 yes. sets Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. I get it. I get but, it. But there's a minimum threshold. That's the thing. Okay. Yeah. You, you need, okay. Again, it depends on your level, but if you are at least advanced, I want to say you need that those at least five, six sets in a workout to be effective at reaching that, that <clears throat> sorry, threshold point to get to trigger growth. So when you, so, Sorry, when you say five, six sets, you're talking about those five, six sets where we talked about yeah, yeah. you're slowing down and reaching close yeah, to failure. Work, yeah, work sets. So, so, work so, sets, so, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, in, in your case, it'd be your last two sets. Just actually, I want to touch on that really quickly before I move on through frequency. I just want to clarify one thing about work sets because yeah. we throw, a lot, a lot, throw around a lot of terms on the podcast and a lot of the viewers, some are new to bodybuilding, don't understand one term to the next. Yeah. A lot of times the guys like the guys that I talked about, they do the low volume approach. They consider a working set, only a working set that goes to failure. Mm -hmm. So we have created today a distinction that says your working set is the one where you've actually started to slow down and tax the muscle. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's gone to failure. Correct. Okay. I just want to clarify and, that. And he said that at least have, as one or two repetition contributing to growth. Okay. That's a work, that's a work. It's a work okay. set. Okay. That's an important distinction for me to clarify for people and just for me to have myself when talking to people. Anyway, on to frequency. By the way, just for my, the one, uh, the, the classification I use, I have three types of sets. You have warm-up sets, yeah. which are essentially like zero effort. Like I'm pressing the bar or very like dumbbells just to yeah. get blood and muscle or yeah. get the joints oiled up with synovial fluid. Then you have preparation sets, which would be your first two sets. They are between a work set and a warm up. It's heavier than a warm up, but not yet a work set. Sure. Then you have a work set. Anyway. So I, I 
does correct me if I'm wrong. Have you heard feeder sets? Because some people call those feeder sets. Yes. Okay. But these, these would be done oftentimes after the work set. The feeder set. Well, it depends on on, on what what's your, what's because your definition? my my definition of a feeder set is pretty much your definition of a yeah. preparation set. It's the one after your warm up. You're kind of just getting acclimated right. to more weight. That's it. Same, so, thing. Same thing. Okay. I just wanted to clarify, just for people have yeah. heard me say it. Okay. okay. So. That's it. We all have different languages, right? And that's the tough thing about bodybuilding, right? Some people, somebody might describe something in their way, and it's something that you've heard a lot of times. And then somebody new to the sport will hear it, and then hear it differently from somebody else. So we're trying to. What I try and do is just educate, and it's hard to educate when there's like a different ways to use the same word. And but, the the the, the irony is that most of the debates we have actually would not exist if we all use the same language i know i know i know okay i'm sorry i keep i keep interrupting so on oh. to free on to frequency is there okay. where were we so, were... so basically the, the frequency is only a tool to get more work in okay there uh, i mean studies again and keep in mind that studies are conducted with mostly beginner or intermediate and low-level intermediate at that. And there's a trend toward better results by hitting a muscle twice a week, even if the total volume is the same. Uh, but increasing frequency further to three or four doesn't have any advantages by itself if you keep the same volume, okay? Uh, same volume. Okay. The only benefit of going above twice a week for a muscle for hypertrophy is it allows you to do more volume overall in your week, okay? Sure. I personally, when I, I when I focus on a specialized approach, normally I specialize on two muscles. That could be one. Uh, it would be hitting that muscle three days a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, for example. Uh, but here's the thing. The secret, in my opinion, to specialization and the one thing that people get wrong, especially people who already do a high volume, okay, is that when you put something in, you need to take something out. Mm, because exactly. there's a systemic stress to training. So when you do squats, well, you know what? It's going to impact all, all your body, not just the legs. Okay, there's central yeah. fatigue going on there. Uh, so, and there's a limited capacity of volume that your body can perform. So there's a number of total sets per week, everything included, that, that would be optimal for you. That would probably range between... 80 and 140 sets per week, work sets per week would okay. be the upper limit of how many sets you can do. So if, for example, your limit of work sets you can do in a week and progress and recovery is, let's say, 90, 90, and by specializing on two muscles and not reducing workload for the muscles, you take that up to 120, Yeah. then actually the specialization won't work. Because you're exceeding your body's capacity to recover. So That's when, a, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So so if you add, let's say, twenty sets of, of arms, let's say fifteen bicep, fifteen triceps per week, you will need to reduce workload by maybe 20, 30 sets that you take away from other muscle groups. Yeah, that's really important because I remember back in the day when I was more in my prime, before I met John, when I would try and prioritize a muscle. I never reduced anything else. And it actually ended up, my body was actually getting worse yeah. because I was overtraining. And I know people think there's no such thing as overtraining, but I have experienced it. So there is. Um, and I just, my body just kept getting more and more beat up because I wasn't reducing the volume from the other areas. Right. Um, 
so what is, how do you know where your threshold is? Like, but you said between 70 and 140, let's say, take that number. Yeah. How do you know? How do I know a hundred sets, like 120 sets? Do I just have to try it out and experiment with my body yeah. or how does it work? Sadly, you kind of do. You sadly okay. you kind of do, uh, but but you quickly figure it out. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, and anyway, the way I and that's one thing that I feel is lagging in bodybuilding. And I don't, I, I haven't watched your your podcast, but but I know you had Broderick on. Yeah, and Broderick is on the the exact same uh, mentality, probably because he also comes mostly from strength sport, and we both believe in periodization. Sure, and uh, so. I, To me, the best option for bodybuilding is to, let's say, do a training cycle that will last 12 to 16 weeks that would coincide with supplementation, nutrition, because everything needs to work together. Yeah. I mean, if you have like, nutrition, recovery, training, and if you, are, uh, you really want to be serious about, about, about bodybuilding, well, drugs, of course, it's part of the equation. You can't yeah. become a good product. So that should be part, and should, you should use the product that will fit the training style you're doing, that will fit your physiology. Anyway, that's another topic. But, but you, you should all periodize that. And from a, a training perspective, you should gradually increase the volume over the training cycle. Yeah. So let's say you, you should start your training cycle with the minimum amount of volume you know will work for you. Okay. And every two weeks, you had sets in. Every two weeks, you had sets in. Every two weeks, you had sets in until you reach the point where, you know what? I'm about to die because that's the most I can tolerate. So you can do that first as an experiment to figure out what is the number of sets you can recover from. Yeah. And because you can very quickly feel what you can't recover from. You feel like shit. Uh, you look worse and worse. One of the best ways... To knowing if knowing if you're doing too much volume is the way you look after a workout. Yeah, I mean, if you look watery, if you look flat, uh, especially water, you can just pinch your skin and it, it stays white for a while. That's because water retention. If mm -hmm. you have water retention after a workout and you look worse two hours after your session, you probably did too much volume, de depleted muscle glycogen, increased cortisol too much because cortisol will increase water retention. That's sure. one of the reasons why why people miss their peak in bodybuilding. Yeah, It's not yeah. so much because they use a, a shitty loading procedure. I mean, honestly, it doesn't matter that much. It's because they're worrying about missing their peak. They're nervous as hell. They're pumping cortisol like crazy. And yeah. that cortisol depletes muscle glycogen and makes them retain water. Okay, that's why you look great the day after the show because yeah. stress is off, cortisol off. You had the whoosh effect, all that water flushed out, even though you drank and ate like crazy. Yeah, stress yeah. is a powerful thing. Uh, anyway, so yeah, so you can you just gradually increase your volume over your cycle. Let's say it takes you 12 weeks to reach the maximum tolerable level. You might stay there for two or three more weeks. Then you take uh, a break, a deload of a week, and then you start another cycle slightly higher than your starting point of the preceding one. So let me ask you this about frequency because it's a theory I used to have, and I don't mind being totally wrong, so it's okay. Um Back in the day, I was trying to keep my legs big. When I would diet, I felt like they would kind of shrink as we got closer to a show. And I started prioritizing them in the off season and during prep. But I don't know if I did more overall sets. So if I trained legs once a week, I would do, I don't know, five exercises, uh, four sets per exercise. So say 20 sets. When I split them up, I might do a few extra sets, but not really. It was more because I had a theory 
and like I said, it was my own personal theory, so it could be total total nonsense. But it, I had a theory that if I could just keep them full, that they would keep their size. So just driving blood to the muscle twice a week was better than hitting them once and then letting them flatten out right. towards the end of the week. Yeah. Does that make any sense to you, or is that just it blood it's blood volume? It's not the whole answer, yeah. but it is part of the answer. Okay. Because first, it is well established that keeping a muscle full favors anabolism. Okay? Okay. That's, that's why, for example, when you carb deplete, uh, when you don't have enough sodium in your diet and the muscles become flat, it's actually very hard to build muscle. And that's when you are at a risk of losing muscle mm-hmm. <laughs> because you have more pre- – I mean, I, remember I mentioned – uh, the pressure receptors, the, the, the barrel yeah. receptors on the muscle fibers. Yeah. Well, the same thing, can, if the muscle is full, it actually presses, creates pressure, increasing, like they call it intramuscular tension, okay. intramuscular pressure. That actually is a trigger for anabolism. Okay. So you actually increase protein synthesis by keeping a muscle full. That's one okay. of the mechanisms, for example, why creatine will work. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, okay. and... Can you overdo that? Or is that just like, let's say I wanted to train my legs. Hey, you know what? I want to keep my legs full. I'm going to do five sets four times a week. Well, will they really be fuller though? That's the thing because yeah. you, yeah, you're not going to get the same level of fullness. I get yeah, it. So yeah. you, yeah. So you still need to create that demand for water and blood and okay. Yeah. I get it. Exactly. Anyway, it, it, and it's been shown again, I mentioned that earlier that, uh, the same volume of work, provided that it's sufficient, uh, will provide better results if you split the volume over two workouts. Of course, that, that's mostly for uh, more beginners, intermediate, but a case could be made that when you're dieting down, you put your body in a less optimal state to build muscle. Yeah. So maybe you have a slight advantage there. There's also the, the, the fact that, uh, okay, there's, a, a, okay, I'm going to use, an example that will seem extremely far off, but I, I'm going to make the connection back to the main topic. Uh, when you get older, okay, uh, there's a thing called sarcopenia, meaning that you lose muscle tissue mm-hmm. as you're getting older, and even if you keep training that muscle. And it is often due to neurological issues. The, the nerves become less efficient at sending the activation signal to the muscle. So okay. basically, the better you can activate a muscle, the more you can activate a muscle, the more you're telling your body, I need that muscle. I see. So in a sense, if you're training that, if you're in a state where the body wants to get rid of muscle, well, it won't get rid of the muscle you are telling your body or using more often. See what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes a lot of sense. So, so the, and again, you mentioned your legs because for you, for you, it was the body part that would flatten out and lose size. And that would make sense com, uh, considering your body type, yeah. like longer limbs. So arms and legs would be the first place you will lose your size. Yeah. And you would maintain chest and back very well, delts very well. Yeah. Uh, but if you look at a guy who would be the opposite body type, then it's going to be chest and back that will flatten out first. Yeah. So yep. maybe he wants to use the same approach for chest and back. Okay. I see. Uh, someone with, with, with stumpy legs and stumpy arms like John, for example, uh, there's no way he's going to lose leg and arm size while dieting down. He yeah, I mean, here narrower, yeah. less shoulders, less upper back. That would be the first thing to go. Yeah. So and you're actually, 
you're actually right. That was his, it was his back was the first thing that would start to go and shoulders. Um, so what moving from training split and frequency, I wanted to discuss exercises. People's team to think that the more extravagant an exercise, the better it's going to work. So that's the first part of it. But the second part of it is, are the traditional exercises actually necessary to grow or can you skip something like a squat or a barbell row and still have a great back or still have great legs? So it's kind of a two-part question, kind of looking at it from both sides of the angle. Well, there's no such thing as a mandatory exercise. I mean, great physiques have been built on pretty a very wide range of exercises. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the traditional big lifts, like a squat, like a deadlift or a rack pull, like a bench press, like an overhead press, like a row, the main benefits of those exercises is that first, they hit a lot of different muscles at the same time. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it's efficient. But that's also the downside of those exercises. Yeah. Because you can't really focus on one muscle. So that's why people often will say that these are great to build a foundation uh, because it, it, it will build over overall size. It's also great to develop the nervous system's capacity to recruit muscles because they require a stronger neural drive. Yeah. You have so many muscles involved. The brain needs to work harder and harder. But when you have that demand the nervous system becomes better over time at recruiting muscles. And that quality, that capacity can be transferred to when you train smaller exercises. Now you can get, I mean, the, the best example I can give you is the best abdominal feeling of mind-muscle connection I, I, I get is when I did squats or deadlift before. Okay. I mean, I just get like, it's just crunchy when I'm doing when I'm doing abs. Uh, same thing if you do like row and you go hit biceps afterwards, often I'm going to get a better contraction. Yeah, definitely. Because the nervous system is all, is, is ramped up. Now, uh, that having been said, uh, it, again, it depends on your body type, which big lift would be best for you. Like, for example, you with long legs, the back squat's not actually going to be a great exercise. Yeah. It's, it's going to be mostly glutes. Mostly yeah. glutes, some lower back, maybe some hamstrings. Mm-hmm. It's actually not going to be a good quads exercise. So a leg press is going to be work better, working better. A hack squat is going to be working better. Pendulum hack squat is going to be working better. Sure. But if you take a guy with short legs, that would be the opposite. He doesn't need – the leg press actually won't work that well for someone with short legs. Uh, a back squat would be better. Uh, okay. Like for a, a guy like you, rack poles will, will work great. For someone like me with short limbs, won't work great. A Romanian deadlift or a straight leg deadlift will work a lot better. Mm-hmm, Traditional mm-hmm. deadlift from the floor won't do shit for someone with short arms, short legs, long torso. Yeah, it's all yeah. lower back, all lower back and quads, all lower back and quads. So you want the deadlift to build the upper back and the posterior chain. So okay. for someone with short legs and long torso, a Romanian deadlift will be a better option when it comes to posterior chain and upper back. Uh, someone with short arms, the bench press is actually a very good pectoral exercise. For someone with long arms, it's a pretty shitty movement. It's going to okay. lead to shoulder problems more than anything. Uh, dumbbell work is going to be a lot better. Yeah. Uh, maybe they need more isolation work for chest, for example. Uh, someone with, with long arms won't need as much lats work. So they, they don't need chin-ups and stuff like that. They do need more rowing more mid-back work. Someone with short arms would be the opposite. Yeah, you don't yeah. need 
mid back because it, it it overpowers everything. But they do need that those isolated lats exercise, those fancy cable movement. To me, the fancy cable movements that are all the rage now, yeah. like they might be on paper. Okay, because based on the biomechanics data, if you use that exact 7.5 degrees angle, which represent the angle of the superior fiber of the trapezius, then that exercise is better, right? Uh, in reality, <laughs> and, and that's true to some extent, but it makes a program very inefficient. Uh, but the best use for those cute exercises, that, and you can just browse Instagram if you lack ideas of what to do, yeah. uh, it's when you have a muscle that is, as we, we talked about earlier, non-responsive to the big lifts. I see. I call that gap work. But, but I, wanna, I just want to interrupt for one second. I have to be careful there because a lot of beginners are intermediates. So there are movements I'm sure you can agree that people just don't like doing. Yeah. A lot of people don't like doing a barbell row. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. Yes. You might not be very strong at it. A lot of guys will skip a T-bar row or a barbell row because of those reasons. So I just don't want to give permission to people to say, right. well, I tried no. the barbell row. It didn't work for me. No, so, actually you should keep the big meat and potatoes lift in there Yeah, because they will build overall muscle. So you want to add, so you want to yeah. add those yeah, that's important. cute, cute exercises as you would put it. Exactly. So basically it's gap work. Okay. That, yeah. I'm, the way I explain that, let's say you do a squat. Okay. Yeah. And let's say I'm doing a squat. I'm short legs, long torso, very quad dominant. So a squat will build my quad very effectively, but won't do much, if anything, for glutes. Okay. Sure. So if I were to only do the big basic lifts, then my glutes would be underdeveloped. Because even when I, when I do deadlift, it's still mostly quads and lower back. Yeah. Because of the way my body is built. So I would need to use, to add those cute uh, exercise to the program, add, not replace, I so see. that I can, I can work on my gaps. I would uh, probably not need as much direct work for quads sure. because they're getting grown grow from the big basics. Okay. So same, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, I feel like that's the biggest mistake I see so far on Instagram or when people, when I see people's programs, this is, this is very, very key. Because the majority of time I see people doing this, they're like, well, my back didn't grow from rows, so I just dumped it. I got rid of it, and now I'm only doing this fancy cable thing. And it's very valuable for people to hear you still need, mm -hmm. like you said, the meat and potatoes. Well, first, okay, the barbell row didn't do anything for my back. Bullshit. Bullshit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it didn't do anything for one specific region of the back that yeah. your brain is focused on yeah. because you're sick of not having that muscle. Like, for example, when you have a weak muscle that doesn't grow, all you see is that muscle. True. You're not seeing that. Okay, the first bodybuilding show I did, and I was like coming straight from Olympic weightlifting. Yeah. So I had like big shoulders, big legs. Uh, zero chest, like literally a prepubescent girl had a bigger chest than I did. So when I was in the, I remember, and I remember this dude, I was, I was in the, in the, in the weighing room and I was looking at the guys with the huge chest. All, all I couldn't see was huge chest. Yeah. Yeah. Chest. I've been there. And, but I, you kind of forget, you know what? My legs are much better than their legs yeah. and my shoulders are much better than their shoulders. 
Yeah. But all you see is your weakness. So yeah. it's the same thing when you're training. If you have weak lats, well, you don't see that you have a fucking thick middle back and traps. Yeah. So it's not that the barbell rule doesn't do anything. It built uh, like that monster shell in that upper back, those rear delts. It just didn't work lats. Yeah. So if you drop the barbell row, you lose the stimulus that would, that made that upper back great in the first place. Yeah. Is and it possible? Is it possible that your barbell row, even though it might not be the most efficient movement for your lats, is it possible that it taxed them enough so that when you're doing that isolated, you know, fancy movement, it's going to work even better? Yeah, absolutely. Then if you then if you just drop the, the barbell row altogether. 100%, 100%. And not just from a fatigue standpoint, from an activation standpoint, because even though it might not be enough <clears throat> for the lats to get maximum stimulation, because it, it if you have short arms, and again, depending on technique where you're pulling the bar, because again, most people, the, the reason why they're not getting much from barbell rows from, from a lats perspective is not because the barbell row, it's because of them. They don't row properly. They, they sure. row toward their chest instead of rowing toward their hips. Yeah. Uh, so so that, that would be one thing to look at. But even if, let's say they do the barbell row in like the upper back dominant fashion, so rowing more to your sternum and your chest, well, the, the lats still get activated. Now, that activation might not be enough mm -hmm. to stimulate growth, but it wakes up the muscle and that's the highly scientific language but the, the, the real scientific language is you increase and, and if you want to pick up a girl in a bar okay that's what you tell her it will, it will increase the sensitivity of the neuromuscular junction to central drive activation there Dude, you go she's in the bag you know that's, yeah, a that's it, yeah. <laughs> but what i mean is that just by contracting a muscle even if it's not hard enough to make it grow, it's enough to make that muscle more sensitive mm -hmm. to the drive of the nervous system. So when you do that exercise that focuses mostly on that muscle, yeah, it, it's going to respond more strongly to the activation of the nervous system and you get better out of that exercise for having done the big basic lift first. Yeah. That's really, really valuable, man. I, um, there's so much. So, a question, how does somebody know? So you've gone through a whole bunch of things really quickly when it comes to what movement somebody should do, and what movement somebody shouldn't do. And I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people watching that are like, well, my body doesn't fit any of the things he said. So how do I find out? How does somebody find out my body is suited for this exercise more than this exercise? Where is this? Is there somewhere they can go? Is it on your website? Is it like, or how do they figure it out? I do have a series on uh, my YouTube channel, which is just Christian Thibodeau Tibarmi, a series of videos on the best exercise strategy for body type. So if you have uh, long limbs, what's the best, like, best shoulder exercise or shoulder strategy? And I compare long limbs versus short limbs, for example. Oops. Let me stop that for a second. Uh, this is the one I wanted to share. This one. Right. Um, so this is your, I just want to show people really quickly. And if you're listening on audio, it's coach Christian Thibodeau, it's T H I B A U D E A U or right. Tib Ar Tib army. So T H I B T H I B army, uh, it's probably easier if you go there. So you're saying on your, 
if you go uh, in the videos and yeah. uh, maybe in the playlist, I, I, I to be honest, I don't upload it. It's in here somewhere though. You yeah, have just you have... the videos. If you go down, okay, for example, here, uh, second row, la third to last. What are the best lower body trading strategies based on your body type? Sure. Uh, for chest, for back, for arms. Uh, so it, it gives a brief, just not just an exercise list, but it explains why, for example, people with short arms uh, will be more dominant in certain muscle groups. And again, uh, you need to consider that training experience varies. So for example, let, let's take Arnold, for example. Okay, uh, Arnold was very biceps dominant. Okay, In reality, a guy with his body type should have problems building biceps. Yeah. Uh, but he, he, the, the thing is that he overly focused on biceps when he was like 13 years old. So it so, goes back. So, sorry. So even if you have genetic limitations, yeah. as far as like you're saying with your structure, yeah. you can overcome them with enough work. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the more practice you get at hitting a muscle the better you'll become at recruiting that muscle so and again okay that, and that is a funny story uh it actually happened to two guys that i know two competitive bodybuilders uh, not super high level but still competitive bodybuilders and the level doesn't matter and they both had the exact same problem and it's funny because when i i talked about that to them they all came up with the exact same explanation Okay. And so they all had like a one inch difference between their right arm and left arm, like significant. Yeah. And these guys work out with good biceps. Sure. And the reason was that ever since they were kids, they were into muscle, right? Like many of us are, right? Yeah. So every time he would, the little kid would come into the mirror, he would flex his right arm. Oh. <laughs> but you do that 20 times a day. Over years and years and yeah. years and years, you become yeah. great at flexing that right bicep. Yeah, yeah. And so when he started training, that right bicep, because it was much easier to recruit, grew more than the left bicep. Yeah, yeah. So again, and that's another thing, and that's a t completely different topic, the value of posing. Yeah. Well, I was actually, uh, before we got into that, I was actually going to ask you, well, first, before we go into the next question I want to ask you, I just want to show people uh, your other socials. So this is your YouTube, yeah. uh, subscribed, and this is your Instagram right. and you have a lot of valuable information on both. So if you're looking on Instagram, it's Christian dot dot. Just search Tib Army. You're going to find it. Yeah. If you search Tib Army, there you go. Yeah. But yeah, you do these little short videos and there's a, actually a lot of good straight to the point information that people can, uh, get from watching these really quick videos. So I encourage you guys to follow him there as well. Uh, and lastly, you have a website here. It's tibarmy.com. And um, you have a whole host of programs here. Picture. That's a picture of me that I hate the most. Why did you use it then? I, I'm not responsible to do that. I, I can barely open my computer. <laughs> yeah, but when they show it to you, don't you just say, I don't like that one. Pick a different photo. I don't have time for that. <laughs> you just pick one. I don't care. <laughs> you remind me of John a lot. I love that's fucking funny. <laughs> I just uh, I just want to talk training. I mean, I yeah. want to talk training, write about training. That's it. I don't don't bother me with that shit. That shit. <laughs> um okay, so uh, only, I don't want to keep you long. We've already gone over like I usually like to do an hour and then move on, but I just want to ask you a quick question because uh, everybody has this question. So you mentioned the difference in one arm to the next. Yes. 
Is that the solution that you've come up with? Is just that one's being used more than other? And if it is, uh, or if it isn't, you can let me know. But what is the solution for those people? Because I get this message all my chest is bigger on one side and the other, my arm, my shoulder, whatever it might be. So what what do you have to say about that? Well, I'm going to do a little self-promotion on my website, Tibarmi. I actually have an article about that. Okay. Uh, but but there are several strategies. And, and yes, it does come doing more work, but more work not to stimulate the muscle, more work to program the brain to be better at recruiting that muscle. Okay. So, for example, I just like, like flexing that muscle yeah. like throughout the day. I mean, let's say you are a figure girl and yeah. you have a, a flat butt. Maybe you just do butt squeezes throughout the day. You are sitting in your car. I actually did that with a, a figure girl that was training. Every time she was at a stoplight and she was a police officer, so she was stopped quite a bit, uh, she would do butt clenches and vacuums. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 you get a lot of work. I should do those vacuums at every red light. That's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it's not the type of work that it's hard to recover. You're not causing muscle damage or anything. That's right. That's but, right. But you're feeling at my muscle connection. Yeah. And uh, for example, you can um, just do resistance band work. I mean, if you have weak tricep, just do pull down, you carry a band with you, you do tricep push down, not to fail. You just practice flexing that muscle a few times during the day. It's just yeah. accumulating contraction work to become better at flexing that muscle. And over time, what will happen is when you do those, your regular training, that side will start to respond just as well as the main side. Now you can also use, uh, obviously the first recommendation is to switch to using more bilateral exercises. Don't do barbell work, do dumbbell work. And if you can do the variation where each limb is working individually. So for example, if I'm doing dumbbell curls, instead of doing both arms at the same time, alternate, for example, yeah. uh, one arm preacher curls, for example. But if, I'm, arm, but if I'm doing, let's say I'm doing a uh, single arm dumbbell curls, right? Or whatever. Um, if my left arm is, is stronger, yeah. Should I do more right, more reps with the right arm, or is you it do, the same? You you start with a stronger side. Yeah. Okay. And that establishes your rep baseline. Sure. So let's say you let's say my right arm is stronger. So yeah. I, I get at the time using forty five pounds, I get ten reps. Okay. Then my target reps for the left side would be with forty five pounds, ten reps. Let's mm -hmm. say I only get eight. Rest fifteen seconds. Get two more reps in. And do it again. Okay. Okay. But so, you don't so, want, but do you want to do more? Like, do I want to do 12? Honestly, you can, you can probably do one or two more reps. I wouldn't do crazy okay. and, and do 10 more reps. If you just do one I minute mean, and using that pattern, uh, for example, you get eight on the first bout, then you rest and you can get three more. That's yeah. 11 versus 10. And you do four sets like that. That's four more growth promoting reps. And over time it, it piles up because it would be a mistake to overdo it because yeah. now you can't recover. So when you're doing the, the stuff during the week, like uh, the butt clenches at the light or the vacuums at the light or yeah. any of that stuff, uh, or let's say for triceps, for example, if you want to build your triceps and you're doing like some band work with one arm, right? that's not actually doing anything for muscle growth. It's just connecting your brain right. so that when you go to lift with the weight, you have a better contraction and a better mind-muscle connection. Well, that's it. Okay. For example, band, band work, okay? Uh, because it... it, it if you go to failure, you will get some growth yeah. out of the band work itself. Yeah. But yeah. that's not necessarily what you want to do. Okay. Sure. It would be a lot more beneficial to accumulate more total reps over the day because it's, it's the amount of practice contracting that muscle. 
Okay. Uh, now, just just one brief topic regarding bands, because and hypertrophy, and we, we we talked about it earlier. Now, bands added to barbells or bands added to machines is different than bands themselves. Okay. Because the thing is, if you just do band exercise, the reason why you can actually do band exercise. Or every, like every day, several times a day and not overtrain is because it doesn't cause any muscle damage. The, the reason is what causes muscle damage is mostly when, in large part, when you are stretching that muscle under load. And with bands, there's no resistance when the muscle is stretched. And it actually increases the intensity of contraction the more you reach peak contraction, That's which right. is actually one reason why it's so effective at wiring your brain to flex hard that muscle. So that's, that's why right. I really like bands by themselves to sure. work on wiring your brain to recruit a muscle better. Since we uh, actually, since you brought up bands again, I have a pet peeve I want to ask you about. Why is everybody doing reverse hacks, banded hack squats all of a sudden? Other than the simple fact that they want to put more plates on the machine. On the machine. I understand that. I understand there's benefit to it in some way, but it seems like it's really become not overblown. Really. Not really. I mean, the, the reverse bands, okay, and that's coming from, okay, I don't want to say that I, I'm, I understand this stuff better than the Instagram babes are using them, but I do uh, because I've been using bands for athletic enhancement purposes for a long time. Mm. Now, the main benefits of reverse bands, which yeah. is attaching the bands at the top to lessen the load in the bottom, it is really to actually make the exercise less effective, if that makes sense. Meaning yeah. that it, it dramatically reduces the load in the bottom position. Yes. So it reduces muscle damage. Uh, it, it reduces joint stress, but it reduces the effectiveness of the exercise because you are underloading that bottom position, right? So let me let me just push back for one second, not because I disagree with you, only mm -hmm. because... There is a second point to it. So John used to have me do them once in a while. Yeah. And John, it, we would use like a really thin, like I see guys now, now using like really thick bands. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. We used to use like a really, really like the, he would call it a monster mini. It was a tiny red right. band. That's fine. And it was literally just to, he said, if you're having some knee problems, yeah. just exactly. put it on and it'll take like 40 pounds off at yeah. the bottom. Right. That, that's what I was getting at. It, yeah. it reduces. So, so I use it mostly as a deload. Yeah. Or when you have joint pain and you still want to get some stimulation while having to use sissy exercise. So the pushback I was going to give you is some guys use it, and I've heard this before. Let's say somebody is uh, maxed out on the hack squat at six plates. Yeah. They want to build their strength. So a lot yeah. of these guys have been saying what I've been hearing is, well, if I put eight plates on it, yes, it deloads at the bottom, but I can feel what eight plates feels like halfway right. up to the top. That's true. From, so is there any benefit to doing that? Yes and no. From a, a, a psychological boost, mental perspective, absolutely. Okay. And that's a technique I use with powerlifters, like overload, either partial movements or adding chains or adding bands or reverse bands so that they can feel what 100, per, like 100 pounds more feels like. Yeah and, yeah, and and there is an impact on strengthening the core, for example, strengthening the, all the support musculature. Because even if it's a hack squat, right, yeah. you still have to fully contract the upper body to stabilize the load, right? Sure. Uh, 
uh, and to connect with the lower body. So, so from that point of view, absolutely. If your limitation is more of a, I'm intimidated by the weight. Now, here's the thing. There's 10% of the population that can transfer the strength gains from partial movements to full range movement. And I know that reverse bands is not theoretically or technically a half range movement or partial, but it is because you overload only half the movement. The other half is super easy. So it becomes essentially a partial lift. Now, most of the people can't, they, they will gain a lot of strength in a partial range that they train. But when they go back to the full range, there's almost zero change in full range movement strength in the bottom in the bottom portion of it. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, yeah. because there's two two downside. First, they do not strengthen the muscles in that joint angle, and strength is joint specific. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and second, the, if you do, for example, you always do your your ax squat with reverse band, or even with bands for that matter. But bands are better than reverse bands. I'm going to explain why. Um, what happens is your brain learns that the bottom is easy and the top is hard, That's which right. is the opposite of what happens in real life. So mm. you wire your brain to produce less force on the bottom and more at the top, less and more, less and more. And when you switch to regular movement, it switch around things and it, dude, it feels like you never leg press or high squat in your life. Yeah. So you brought up bands, like t- the traditional way to put them on. Yes. And I'm pretty sure you're going to shoot a hole in what I'm, what I'm about to say, but I loved using traditional, but that was actually my, yeah, two, yeah, I like my two favorite movements to use bands on was leg press and hack squat and not reverse the traditional way. And the reason I, I say that is I always felt like if I had knee problems, for example, I could put like, let's say my normal weight would be six plates on a hack squat. I felt like I could put five plates and put a thick band going up, going upwards and that would help me at the bottom because I'd only be at five plates at the bottom, but I would be really contracting all the way through with that heavy band. Is, and that's going to work with you because it, you have long legs. So, okay, there you go. So can you explain to me, is that efficient for everybody or only guys with long legs or is that? It's, it's, well, it's going to be beneficial for everybody, but mostly for guys with long legs. Because okay. when you have long legs, the lagging muscle will be quads. Yes. Uh, and quads will work mostly as starting at that parallel angle. Okay. The bottom, yeah. it's mostly adductors and yeah. some glutes. Yeah. Uh, so really in your case, those glutes and, and adductors will be very strong because of your, your, your leg length. So underloading that part of the movement to overload the part where your lagging muscle or your less dominant muscle will be the quads is very beneficial for you. I understand. Absolutely. Okay. 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 And also the difference between reverse bands and regular bands is that regular bands increase eccentric stress because it's not just adding weight. It's That's actually right. trying to pull you down. Yeah. So it's, it, it's creating downward acceleration. That was so actually, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I'll, I'll explain. Go ahead. Sorry. So, so if you're trying to resist that acceleration, mm-hmm. your muscles need to fire harder than just lowering the weight and remember that during the eccentric phase lowering the weight your body uses mostly the fast switch fibers okay. so if you increase the, the how hard they must contract because you need to not only resist the weight but break the acceleration you produce a shit ton more tension on those fast switch fibers which is growth prone when you're using the reverse bands 
it's, it, it's just like someone is spotting you. It doesn't try to pull you down. It does not increase eccentric stress. That's right. So that's got to be why my f- absolute favorite part of using bands on leg press, and I would double wrap them up to make it even worse. As soon as you unhook the leg press, it's coming. Like yeah. it's yeah. all that force is coming down. And it's not just, it's different than the force from just the weight. Cause that band is literally fighting you to come down. Yeah. yeah. So that was actually, and, and I also, man, you've hit so many like big target points in this podcast. I hope to God, everybody watches it. The eccentric portion of the movement. I've always told people to take it slow. You know, you've heard Dorian Yates say it. A lot of people say slow down. I did not know that that was more fast twitch fiber than slow twitch. And I didn't know that that's why it was important. I knew it was important, but I didn't know the reason why. Not only that, you actually get a different hypertrophy stimulation from the eccentric and the concentric. The, the, the muscle fiber okay, can become bigger two ways. It mm-hmm. can become thicker. So basically, imagine that the fiber is uh, like this tube here. So it yeah. can be th- thicker, okay, yeah. which is by you add sarcomeres in parallel you just pile them up and become thicker yep. or you can actually make them longer okay, okay. and you can say well christian my muscle doesn't change length no it doesn't because it's still attached at the same place but instead of the fiber going this way it goes this way uh, it, so it still it. increases muscle volume yes. it gives muscle a more tri-dimensional look even though the muscles might not be thicker and that is by adding sarcomeres in series, the sarcomeres at the end of the fiber. And that is developed by slow eccentric actions, whereas thickening is the concentric portion. I see. If that's you, this is crazy. If you don't like do that slow eccentric or at least control, trying to break yeah. the acceleration, you, you literally lose half of the gains. I actually had this debate with uh, Brandon Curry uh, on a podcast we did. Because I was, Brandon doesn't like to do slow eccentrics, but he feels that having to catch the weight and use the force to catch and bring it back through is just as important. That, that's also, that's true. Okay. It, it, it's called, it, it's a turnaround because it does create the same thing because you can either like that slow eccentric will, will uh, like keep that muscle fiber under tension for a long time, but a slower force. If yeah. you have to break a fast-moving object, yeah. it, the tension is over a short range, but it's magnified in the zone where the muscle fiber is the more prone to grow. So you do get more amptor activation. You can also, by the way, get the same thing by trying to force the stretch at the bottom of the rep. So it's, it's a type of rep you can add. Yeah. Personally, I think that it can be potentially dangerous. Well, that, so, was, my, that was my argument to him is... Funny thing about Brandon, actually, I met him. Dude, the, the guy was like 175. Yeah. Uh, he was, and, and I don't want to, he was actually a fan, a fan of mine from yeah. our article from T Nation. And yeah, he yeah. came to see me at the booth at the Olympia. We had a booth at the Olympia, like first booth when he came in. I think it was also, it was in 2004 or five. We we're giving away a motorcycle, anything. Yeah. George St. Pierre was there. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, we, we talk in French, so nobody understand, understood us. <laughs> anyway, when he speaks English, nobody understands him either. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> yeah. And dude, Brendan was like, like 175. Now he's like 285. Like, like I know, the, the I different know. I mean, talk about genetics. I mean, some people like I don't like to talk about genetics. Ian and Michael Lockett, like I feel are exceptions. I mean, yes. they, they do work very hard. 
Yes. Uh, but they, they just had it. Uh, the reason I was laughing earlier when you said that about the, uh, about him being right is this entire podcast has literally taught me one thing. I mean, there's been a lot of real solid nuggets in there, but it's really just taught me if you have to just bust your ass, like yeah. you've basically, we've basically taken every debate and said, this will work and this will work. Yeah. As long as you're doing them, as long as you're doing them both to with maximal effort. I just did a video on, on my Instagram that you know, the, the, the number one, two, and three most important things to get results are how hard you train. Yeah. That's it. Being, training hard and being consistent. That's it. But you can't really know. This is the thing about training hard, the word hard. It's very, yeah, very, it's, it's very, rel- but it's very relative. Like yeah. you can only think you're training hard until you meet somebody who trains harder. 100%. And that 100%. to me is the, is the ultimate, because I've had clients, I used to coach a lot of people and I've had clients tell me, ah, I train so hard. I train so hard. And I'm like, okay, send me some videos of your training. And I just don't see it. I just don't see the effort that's needed. Dude, it's, it's crazy. So I mean, it's, it's hard. You need to go to gyms where you have that's lots right. of successful bodybuilders or powerlifters, if that's your thing. That's right. I mean, I'm, just, I mean, I'm going to talk about strength for, for a second, but that's still relevant. It's still the same thing. Uh, my, my, when I was a kid, I was young. My best bench press was like 315 and was like the strongest guy at, at the college gym. I was like all proud of that. Then I moved. <laughs> to a, 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 a gym in a basement of a church. Mm-hmm. But all strong men, bodybuilders, uh, powerlifters trained there. Yeah. Crazy gym. It was, it was a lot of fun. You had lots of guys bench pressing for 50, 500, deadlifting 800. And, and within four months, I was bench pressing 400. Yeah. And yeah. I had been stuck at 315 for years. Yeah. And I remember I was at uh, Dave Tate's compound in Ohio. Like tons of like world-class powerlifters were training at the same time because the whole team was training there. Yeah. And dude, I, I, I left there. I was like literally like not demotivated, but I, I made two realizations. First of all, I, I looked like a fucking anorectic. <laughs> and I was like, I was like 235. I think 235, I look like the smallest girl out there. Yeah. Crazy. And second, there's not a single I was I was coaching people in the gym back then. And I came back to the gym and I'm looking at all these guys training. And I say, I thank God we're Sunday and I don't have any, have any clients. Yeah. Because I would have said to the client, you know what, I'm gonna take your money, but I can guarantee you you're not gonna gain because there's no way you're gonna train that hard enough to get the results you want. Yeah, yeah. It's what when you yeah. see like someone, and again, oftentimes, I mean, if you have not done it, you don't recognize it. No, that's right. So I, you can, like, the average person in the gym, and that's the, that's the bad thing, right? The average bro in a gym will look at a pro bodybuilder who busts his ass off, and will look at the average dude next to him who like trains normally, and he actually can't spot the difference. Well, because to the average bro who sees a pro bodybuilder, they immediately attribute it to steroids. Right, right. And and listen, steroids is definitely part of it, but they don't attribute it to anything else that's going on. But yeah, I don't know how to get the hard work thing across. Uh, I just always tell people, if you ever get a chance to train somebody with someone who's better than you, take the opportunity immediately. So uh, is there anybody you want to thank, anything you want to promote, or any message you want to give out there to people before we head off? Uh, 
I really recommend, I mean, if there's one advice I can give you is learn from as many successful people as possible, especially if they are of the opposite opinion of you. Mm, I mean, that's very good. The, big, the big problem is that people are looking more for, um, I want to say, uh, support for their own belief to feel yeah. secure about what they're doing yeah. rather than challenge their point of view. I mean, if you really want to learn something new, you, you can't learn something new for some, from someone who you, under, you, you agree 100% with. You need to be uncomfortable and, and challenge your own view. So that's what I recommend doing. That's so good. I, um, I have to tell you, when I started this podcast, I thought I knew a lot more than I realized I do. When I was younger, I thought I knew everything. Um, but even when I started this podcast, I still was pretty sure of what I knew. And the more people I talked to, the more I'm like, I had to just let it all go. Mm -hmm. At one point, I think somewhere early on in the early episodes, I said to myself, I don't know anything, forget it. And every time somebody comes on, I just absorb everything I can. So it's really, really good information, man. And a, a very strong point you made. Um, Christian, I appreciate it, man. I'm sure we're going to have more training debates to discuss are, are you willing to come on again at some point absolutely it's been really I, I, i'm not gonna lie i mean i've done like 30 podcasts it was the only one i was actually anxious about doing <laughs> why <laughs> well, dude, I, mean, I, I, I told you about this i, I was i first like learned about you and yeah. you were like one of my biggest inspiration with, with lou joseph like yeah Silver. yeah it's a long time ago yeah the old muscle mayhem forum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was like still a strength coach and like trying to learn anything I could from bodybuilding. And I was yeah. learning that from you guys. And I said, dude, I mean, he had all the best guys in bodybuilding. What can I contribute to this crowd? Well, so he, a ton. Uh, listen, yeah. bodybuilders, bodybuilders are great. And bodybuilders learn their bodies and learn ways to make their bodies more efficient than everybody else's but they don't know necessarily how to explain it or they don't know why. Like there's a ton of things that I asked you today that you were like, yeah, that makes sense. I didn't know it made sense. I just know it worked for me. Right. So that's why you're here is I, I used to, and you don't know this, but I used to read T nation mm -hmm. and I used to go don't on. Don't, that don't tell it too loud though. <laughs> Sorry, Sorry but, but that's where I got to know who you were. So, but, um, so, yeah, so that's why I was like, okay, well, I want to have one because I know how, val how valuable the information is. So, anyway, I appreciate you coming on, man. Thank you so much, and uh, we'll do it again, hopefully. It's been awesome. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and like the video. And if you get a chance, check out the description for all the different links to all the different places you can find Hostile and myself. And lastly, check out Hostile.com for our new line of supplements and all of our apparel and gear. Thanks again for watching.